We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal not wasting any resources, including goals, as we are now four days away from the season beginning. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. When you have resources, you don't want to waste them. You don't want to waste them in the transfer market, and you don't want to waste them on the pitch. How many goals are we going to score in the next 8, 10 months? Well, if we score them against Chelsea or against Spurs in the Mind series, some silly preseason game, well, those are goals that we could have used this season. Just like money spent poorly is money we could have spent elsewhere. Goals scored for no reason can be saved for the season, and that is, I believe, what we are doing, and we are a very smart and good club that is clearly ready for the season. Well, whether we're ready or not, it's coming. So this week is all about the new season. On Thursday, we will have our way too early season predictions because uh, the window won't be closed, but we are we are not afraid, my friends. We're not afraid to make predictions absent any information. In fact, some could argue that our, our strongest takes are based on no information whatsoever. So we will continue with that uh, tradition, kick off the new season. New song for the podcast will debut Thursday. I haven't even heard it yet. I'm excited to hear it. It'll last for the season. Then we'll do another one next season. So much like the season itself, if you don't like it, don't worry. There'll be a new one next season. We are going to have a fantasy football podcast. Uh, We are going to have all kinds of fun stuff to celebrate the new season, including a live stream pre-match show for Brentford. So please join us for that on all the usual live stream places. That'll be two hours before kickoff there. And all the stuff just starts over again. Hope springs eternal. Arsenal, top of the table as we always are this time of season. Let's all remember that because who knows how long it will last. Thank you so much for being here with us for another season. Thank you for getting through the summer with us, the madness of the transfer window, although it stretches on, and just being here with us again. And we are so thrilled that you are. And so as we embark on a new journey, as we now, the the week of the, the curtain riser for the season it is my pleasure, as always, to introduce Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. The start of the new season also means that our bingo mug giveaway will start. What that means is, if you have a bingo mug, you can keep up with us saying the things that are on the bingo mug, which we say whether we knew they were on the mug or not. And when you have a completed bingo mug, just send us the list of the episodes where you completed it, and you will get a shirt for free. So uh, that is our bingo mug giveaway. It will start with Thursday's pod, not today's pod. So uh, with that having been said, let's get down to it. Let's start. 
So the Spurs game has a lot of interesting takeaways and talking points, but I'm going to shelve that just for a second, Tim, to talk about Joe Willick. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a lot more debate and disagreement about the Joe Willick sale than maybe I would have expected there to be. I certainly wonder what we think Joe Willick could have been sold for a summer ago. And thanks to seven goals on 15 shots, an unparalleled hot streak in front of goal for Newcastle, it looks like we're getting closer to 25 million of your great British pounds for him. I'm curious how you feel about this move, the conditions that led up to it happening, and the debate that surrounds it, which is, to me, Mm. maybe a little bit strange. Yeah, sure. So, first of all, my uh, opinion of the deal, it makes my heart sing, Elliot. It's great. I think it's great money. Um, look, at the end of the day, let's, let's, uh, and, um, you know, I listened to you on the Askcast last week and I thought, um, you made a very good point about how there has to be doubt for there to be value, um, in a player, but look, put it this way, is Joe Willock in our starting 11? Never. Absolutely not. He's not going to, and, and that's no disrespect to Joe Willock. He's a really good player. He's not getting in ahead of Emil Smith-Rowe, no chance. So he's not in our starting 11. How do we even accommodate him into our starting 11? Do we play him as a 10? That didn't really seem to suit him when we tried it. Can we play him in the double pivot? I don't really think so. So there's not a clear place for this player other than as an impact sub, which which I think is a good role for him. And let's not forget, that's the role he played for Newcastle. He didn't start most of their games. Um, And so, and and in this market, twenty like the 25 million for Willock in this market to me is pretty much the same as the 35 million we got for Awobi. Um, I think that's what we're looking at here. That look around the Premier League. How many deals for twenty-five million or more? Or sorry, let, let's say let's kind of be more conservative and say twenty million. How many deals of that level have been done? Not many. And so the other thing about this, there was no competing club that we know of for his signature, um, which also might tell you something. Now I understand some of the anxieties around it. We're a bit short. Uh, potentially in midfield we're potentially a bit short at number 10 um whether willock is that guy i i'm personally not sure because he does something really really different and the other thing we should say is scoring goals for newcastle and scoring and and sorry i know that like um there's a lot of anxiety around the lack of goals from midfield i think that's a slight misnomer um I don't care where the goals come from. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if they come from midfield or not. I, personally, I think there's more goals in Pepe and more goals in Aubameyang and more goals in Martinelli and more goals in Saka and Smith-Rowe. I think there's more goals in those guys. Um, you know, the Invincibles, Vieira and Gilberto weren't big goal scorers. Vieira and Petit weren't big goal scorers. Um, it's the front four that you really want to focus on. And don't get me wrong, having a goal-scoring goal midfield is great. Midfielder is great. Um, but really, you're looking at your number 10 and your front three scoring goals. That's what I want. Like Man City, like Fernandinho is not like propping up Man City's scoring statistics, right? Jorginho doesn't score goals. No, <laughs> well, well, he actually finished Chelsea's top scorer last Jorginho? season. Jorginho? Uh, yeah, yeah, but they were all penalties. Oh, um, okay, okay. I see what you did there. Seven, I think he had one goal but, from open play. I think. Yeah, yeah. He that, that's actually true though. He had he had seven, so maybe eight. Yeah, eight goals, seven penalties, and he was Chelsea's top scorer. But we anyway, call that the Bruno, the full Bruno Fernandez. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so 
I, I just I don't really see a role for Willock in this team other than the super sub role, and I just don't think that's necessarily worth twenty five million. And uh, the reason Arsenal don't score enough goals is not because they don't have players that can score goals; it's because they don't create chances. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Joe Willock solves that problem for us. So for me, I was very ha- and and he's got two years on his contract. So if you're not selling him now, sign him up to a new contract and have a plan for him. That I think is that is how stark and simple it is. If you don't want to sell Joe Willock to Newcastle for twenty million, give him a five-year contract and make him a first-team player. Like you, you can't do like we've done the in-between, right? We've done hanging on to players and hanging on to players and hoping they'll be brilliant. Even if Willock had a brilliant season for Arsenal this year, where does that leave us? He'll have one year left on his deal next year, and he'll have caught all the shots and will be bent over a barrel, and we have to give him a massive contract and it's just you either sign him now or you sell him now if the money's good enough and frankly the money was good enough and I think in this market that is a really good amount of money and anyone who kind of doubts it I guess the thing I'd say to try and get your pecker up a little bit I do not think that Arsenal would sanction this deal if it meant anything other than bringing in an attacking midfielder um, I I reckon I very much I think the Madison deal will get done now on the back of this. I think this sale is about getting closer to the price that Leicester want for Madison. Um, and you know, I'm not. An, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan. I think Madison's a good player. I'm not sure he's worth that kind of money. I do think he's better than Joe Willock, um, though, and I do think he offers. If you put the price aside, he's a good player and he improves our squad. So then mm. it just becomes a, a, you know, a question of how much you care about the price. But I think that's what Arsenal are doing here. Yeah, I mean, it's too early for a Manscaped ad, so I'm going to leave the Pecker comment alone. But yeah, look, every player has a price, and if someone's willing to pay it, you sell. The biggest problem at Arsenal hasn't been that we've sold the good players. It's been that we haven't. I mean, I know that I go on about this, but how much would we love to go back and take the 50 million that was on offer for Alexis, the 50 million that was on offer for Ramsey, the 40 million that was on offer for Ozil? Would we have been better off with 140 million or Mkhitaryan and Ozil's, you know, not playing and sitting at home playing Fortnite? Like it is, it is very simply the case that you know people have said, why don't we sell the guys we want to get rid of? Nobody wants them. Sure, we'd love to sell Willian and Kolasinac, maybe Aubameyang at this point, and Lacazette. Nobody wants them. We couldn't get a fee we liked for Shaka. So, you know, selling is about moving on from players when the price is right, especially if you're lucky enough to be moving on from a player who isn't a great fit. What we got for Alex Awobi was nothing short of a windfall, and from a player who we probably had gone as far as we could go with him. If Joe Willick stays this season, how many minutes is he going to get? 500 minutes? Sub-appearances? Maybe he, he plays sort of a, a, an 8 and a 4-3-3 three, three, or we play him as one of the wide players and let him attack the box and he could be useful that way. But the money we got for him is very fair money. Nobody wanted to sell Maitland-Niles last summer coming off a good FA Cup run. But we'd kill to have that bid now. And what would the 25 for Willock plus 15 for Maitland-Niles be? That's 40 million pounds. You're really close to what Martin Odegaard's going to cost just with that. So... I think you just have to recognize, Clive, that selling the good players hurts, but they're actually the only players you can sell. Nobody wants to buy the bad players. And we have this attitude like the only time we should sell is when we're 100% certain that they can't do anything for us and we need to get rid of them. And I hate to break it to you, 
Those players don't get fees. Those players are the ones that you pay to go away. So you can be sad to see Willick go. That's fine. Of course, he's an academy kid. But it's a stunning success for the club and the academy to get $25 million for one of your academy kids. And I hope he goes on and has a great career. And I hope we use the money to make Arsenal Football Club better. That's how this works, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really like the player, but I really like the deal. And two things can be true. Right, so oh, he hit us it. with the two things can be true. <laughs> that's oh, my line. Oh, there it is. Who, whose line is that? I'm not sure. Who. It's yeah, yours, isn't it? It's yours, yeah. Oh, two things can be true. And then that's it, right? If a player goes and there's a debate, there's a bit of pain in your heart, it generally means it's probably the right thing to do. And if he comes back and bites us and, and, and that's what's going to happen, probably. I think, he's a, I think he's a very good player for certain football clubs. Um, I, you know, some of the things he does, you know, they're not accidents. He will score goals. I even watched the one at Chelsea last week. The way he took that shot, the way he got his standing foot off the ball, off the ground, sorry. He whipped that top bang. That this, this stuff is, he knows what he's doing in the box. He turns into something else in the box. <laughs> a bit like David Platt, he was an ugly footballer. In the box, he turned into something else, you know. And, um, and Willis got that about him. And so, fair play to him. He's going to have a great career. And it's what you should do. We haven't really got a place for him. It's interesting that we Arsenal fans absolutely lift him a mile ahead of Smith Rowe. The numbers, I don't know the numbers, I don't really care. He's a good player, but Smith Rowe suits Arsenal Football Club more than Willett does at this moment in time. So you move him on, you know. So um, let's see what happens with both their careers. I think Smith Rowe has ended Willett's career, shall we say. Yeah. And that happens, by the way, that happens. And you move on, you and you go and you know do your do your stuff elsewhere. Lukaku's about to come back to Chelsea. Ten years after he left with it, and he's gone away and he's made his money and he's made his career and he's come back. And they're going to have to roll out the red carpet for him, pay a hundred million quid for him. Things happen in football, and you never know what happens. But what we can't have people sit on the bench losing value. That's just a waste of time. Yeah, I I think Clive, like the the thing I struggle with is. It can also be true. You know, I, I hear people say, like, the problem with Aubameyang is he's not a fit for the system that Arteta wants to play or, you know, whatever the, the case may be. Well, if that's true of Aubameyang, it sure as heck is true of Joe Willock. Like, the, the issue isn't just quality, it's fit. And there are players that just work together and don't work together. I, I would suggest that, you know, Liverpool ideally would have preferred to keep Coutinho than selling him, but for the money that was on offer, how could they turn away from it? Same with Luis Suarez. Certainly 40 million and one wasn't enough, but it's another story. It, it is the case that selling is sometimes absolutely the way you wind up making a better team. And if you can take 25 million pounds for a Joe Willick, we don't quite know what to do with and turn it into a player we really can do something with. That's always smart. So, you know, I, t- I tend to be someone who says, all right, I, I, some players I love, some players I like less, so be it. Do I regard what we're doing as smart? And and I do think that that is a smart move. And Tim, it is also the case, I think, and Lewis Ambrose said this on the Arscast, and it's absolutely spot on. I, you know, I made a Tetris analogy on the last pod. When, when the squad is really bloated, and especially as a lot of high earners that you can't move, you just have fewer moves you can make. You have less optionality. And so you know, the club has other players they'd like to move, but this is one they could get money for. In another situation, you might say, this is one where we're going to draw the line, we'll get our money somewhere else. We mm-hmm. don't seem to have that somewhere else. Um, and that that kind of leads me to 
where we stand with the moves we have left to make. I think Arsenal might have liked more of a clear out this summer than we're getting. Do you sense that maybe the struggle we're having in the market is, I mean, we can't afford to be, we just point blank can't afford to be in a situation where we have like five players who aren't registered for the match day squads, who aren't registered for the league, right? And we've got a homegrown problem. We've got a squad number problem. And I, I don't know how we fix it. Do you think some of the pain we're experiencing right now in trying to operate in the market, and maybe some that came through in the frustration of, I thought, Arteta's post-match comments, which were maybe the first sign of some fraying nerves, is the fact that we just aren't able to move out the players we need to move to make room to bring in the guys yeah. we want. Forget the money, just the space in the squad itself. Yeah, 100%. And, and in, in isolation, they have my sympathy for that because I just, like, I, I'm not surprised at all that the market is like this. You know, I was saying at the beginning of the summer and at the end of last season, like, this summer is not going to go how people want it to because, like, there was never a market for Arsenal's bad overpaid players, right? Skilarchi ran his contract down. Arshavin ran his contract down without playing at all in his last year. Denilson, we paid to leave. Bentner ran his contract down. Um, you know, Diaby's contract ran down. There's never been a market for those players. There is definitely not a market for them now. And we're, we're not the only ones struggling with that. And of course, you've got this other thing where you've got um, a kind of, a, a, I guess, an unintended consequence of the Premier League's financial dominance that you can't move these, play, these players to anywhere else other than within the league. Um, and even then, there's like, there's, you know, I saw something like the revenue of the top six, like all of the 2019-20 accounts have, have now been published. And the revenue of the big six is more than the other 14 put together. So even within that league, there's inequalities. And so when you look at someone like Man City trying to ship like Bernardo Silva and Gabriel Jesus, like who are they going to sell them to? Because like, Chelsea are pretty much the only ones that could take on their wages and do they do they want to sell to I mean I don't think Chelsea need those players anyway but do they want to sell to to Chelsea you know so there there, is, there are quite a lot of market forces at work and in one respect that's 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 kind of unlucky for Arteta because he's walked into this job at a time where um the market is very very clogged up and that's not his fault but what where I guess Arsenal don't have my sympathy is that that's the problem with bad recruitment. Bad recruitment beget, like bad decisions beget more bad decisions. And what happens when you recruit badly, it's not just a case of, oh, we recruited this guy to play, I don't know, up front or on the wing, and he's not very good at it. You then can't shift that player, which means you then can't replace that player, so you're stuck with them, and there's a complete logjam. So it's like, it's like a diseconomies of scale kind of effect that not only have you bought a player that isn't very good or doesn't do what you need them to do you then can't move them out and you can't bring in someone that does do what you want to do so there's there's like there's quite a lot going on there and I, I i do understand why arteta's frustrated because you know he knows that this is a massive season for him he knows that essentially his job's on the line he knows that and i think he knows that the squad like him and Edu aren't sitting there going, yeah, this is a pretty good squad. I'm I'm pretty sure they think of it roughly what we think of it, mm. um, and they're they're trying to move people on, and it's it's just difficult. Um, but at the same time, when you make re like you know, not to like drag back over the Willian and Ced Cedric deals and stuff like that, but stuff that's just like that was that was clearly stupid from the off. That was not like 
oh, we thought this would work. That that's just stupid. Don't do that. Mm. So there's like there is quite a lot going on there. I do think that we will move some of these players out probably in the final week, um, and and I do think there'll be quite a bit of kind of horse trading going on. But it it will be interesting to see the ones I'm really interested in, like someone like Kalasanac, for example. I think we're just gonna have to pay to go away. Yeah. yeah. Um, quite frankly, but I'm interested. I don't think someone in... wants to pay us for his hundred and twenty thousand pounds a no. week or whatever he's paying. No, I don't. Or like, I think I might just like terminate. You, even with Ozil bigging him up to Fenerbahce, I don't think we're no, going to pull that no. off. No, definitely not. And I'm not even sure Ozil's stock is high enough there um, to be honest to be able to do that. But the ones I'm really interested in are like Maitland Niles and Inketia and Nelson. Some of those academy kids and. And, you know, Nelson and Ketty have got one year left on their deal. So what the hell do we do with them? Because no one wants to buy them. Everyone wants to do try before you buy. And so we're stuck in this situation with them where it's like, well, look, if you sign a one-year contract extension, we'll send you out on loan. But they, understandably, they don't want to do that. But then, who like, who blinks first in that situation? Do Arsenal just say, well, fine, okay, you stay here, but you're not going to play for a year, and then we'll see what kind of contract you get you know, let's see what kind of contract Reese Nelson gets after two years of not playing, or do the you know do the do the players blink and go? All right, we'll sign our one year extension. We'll go on loan, play some football, and then you know we'll go next summer. Like I I do think that certainly for someone like Reese Nelson, that might just be an expedient decision for his career if no one wants to buy him, um, and Arsenal can only loan him by getting him to sign a one year extension. So I think something like that might happen, but. I think the last week of the window, there's there's going to be some shit's going to go down. But <laughs> it's almost impossible to conceive that all of the players we want rid of um, will go, which is probably why we've made decisions with the likes of Xhaka and maybe even someone like Bellerin and just gone, okay, market's not there. These are not terrible players. These are not players that we absolutely cannot wait to get rid of. Um, you know, they're probably players that have, have gone a bit stale at Arsenal, but they're not players that we think are bad and can't use whereas there are there are quite a few players who are just either you know kids who've not quite come up to the mark or players like Kalasanac who are just bad and we can't use them yeah so this is where I think there is a tension between the guy who is your coach who is young who's got his job on the line and everything at stake also being the manager who seems to have consolidated a lot of power in himself and I'll try to make this point as quickly and as as clearly as I can, neither of which are my strong suits. So when you are coach, especially a young coach, first job, lots to prove, job on the line, you need deals that get you to be good right now. doesn't matter what's going to be the case in three seasons. You don't have three seasons to wait. The problem is, what happens when two seasons from, you know, William just turned 33, everyone. <laughs> What's he going to be next season at 34 when he's still on 180 a week at Arsenal? Aubameyang's going to be 33 next season. He's still going to be at Arsenal on 250 a week. What's Granit Xhaka going to be like at 33 on 120 grand a week? Because he's still going to be here. And the problem is, those will be the players of that moment where we're going, well, we could have strengthened, but those guys are still here and we can't shift their 600,000 pounds of wages. But Arteta can't care about that. He has to re-sign Shaka because he needs him signed up and engaged and ready to go this season. And that kind of thinking is problematic because a strong director of football might have said, I can't leave these legacies 
to either Arteta, if he's still here, or the next guy, whoever he is. I can't box myself in where I got 600,000 pounds of dead wages two seasons from now that I can't shift. I have to start moving these players on now. I have to move Shaka out now. It may be painful. The replacement may need time to bet in. And it may not be perfect, but it's the right move for us for the longer term. And so I do feel that those things are at tension with each other. I bet Arteta's somewhat annoyed that Willick's going. Sure, he would have loved to have kept him. Heck, he wanted Nketiah to stay. Last season, he couldn't find a use for him. But the fact of the matter is, long-term, this is better for Arsenal. And I do think there's a bit of a tension between a young manager fighting for his job, also being the guy who has to make decisions that impact the club longer term. And I I don't know how you resolve that. You know, I, I, I think we saw in Arsene Wenger's last few seasons, he made a few decisions as manager that he absolutely would not have made years before, but he knew he was done. And so it was someone else's problem. So Alex Ferguson left United in terrible shape, but he didn't care because he knew he was going. And you can look at the difference in stewardship when you have a future to plan for versus when you don't. You know, so that is that is an interesting challenge. And I think another interesting challenge, and Clive, you can certainly weigh in there. Um, you know, I, I, I think we can probably leave alone the issue of Adu being on his holidays. I, I just want to ask you a super quick question about this. A lot of people got frustrated by the pictures they see circulating on social media of him out having the time of his life. And a lot of people, I think, rightfully point out, what does that have to do with anything the guy can be working remotely. All of us are working remotely hell right now. Like, why can't he? And he absolutely can. Even if I do think it's the kind of job that when you're trying to get a deal done and it's the last minute, it's the 11th hour, and it needs to get over the line, that maybe actually going and seeing someone and shaking their hand and having a cocktail with them and, you know, really getting the job done. I, st- I still think some jobs, it's helpful if you can get into the room with someone. But I, I fully accept it can be done remotely. But I am someone who thinks optics matter. I am someone who thinks that when you have a global fan base of millions and millions of fans and you are a public-facing figure in a job that's still relatively new to you where there are a lot of questions about how you're doing and how the club is doing and if we're doing enough in the market and we just finished eighth, like, I think optics matter. I think pictures of you being locked in a dark room at London Colney with a caption that says working hard to get the business done wouldn't kill you versus being on a jet ski with Kia and Raul you know, smoking wads of 100-pound notes? I don't know. What do you think, Clive? Are, are, are optics important, or is that a social media thing that doesn't matter as long as the business gets done? Yeah, well, I'm not sure you want me to say, really. <laughs> it's just, uh, I haven't seen well, the do pictures. do you think it matters? Tempest in a teapot, or, you know, nothing, yeah, much to do about nothing? Like, what is it? Well, there's not more I can say, really. It's just, uh, I, I don't think it looks great, but I'd rather judge on September the 1st. I think that... I think sometimes as fans, we we know what we need to do. We know who we need to sell. We know we haven't sold everybody yet. We know we haven't improved the first 11 enough yet. We've had an average pre-season results-wise. We're not sure how we want to play. And we're looking around. We're looking around and say, all right, I'm getting revved up, right? I'm getting revved up. I'm ready to go. This ain't working. Um, people want our tear out already, and it's pre-season. And they do. We want you going as well. You enjoy yourself too much. And you know, I sometimes look at the, the basics of it, and there's a there's a transfer show in Sky that starts, and they don't start till one month before the transfer window shuts. They don't start till then. That tells you when the real transfer window opens, you know. And this is when it's going to be a late trolley dash for everybody. And we will see. There are rumours out there. There are rumours for Maitland Niles. There are rumours for Eddie. There are rumours for Reese Nelson, Torreira, Fiorentina. Um, we're talking, looking at Lacazette for Roma, Kalashnik, Fenerbahce. See you later, mate. Take your money. There are there are rumours out there, and so 
I don't think these players are completely dead players. They have played. They are homegrown, some of them. They have got a recent CV. So let's see. Let's see what happens. Um, I just have to wait, Elliot. I'm not going to throw myself into a hole about this. Um, so you don't, you don't care how the sausage is made, though, is what you're saying, right? Because I, I think I have sympathy for someone who would say... It's just a bad look. It's a bad look for him to be at Kia, you know, Raul's birthday party with Kia. And it's a bad look for him to be on jet skis on holiday, you know, one week before the season starts, you know, where images of, of them at a club dancing while Arsenal are losing to Spurs in a meaningless preseason friendly. Like, I, I have sympathy to the idea that you have to be a little bit more savvy than that with your optics. But I also fully accept that none of that prevents him from doing the job in 2021, yeah. or at least mostly, you know. I haven't been in office for a long time, and I'm still working. And but I haven't seen the pictures. I haven't got that feeling you've got. I have just haven't seen them. And um, but from what you're saying, it doesn't look great. But let's judge it on when we see what we do. And you know, I'm not a fan of Kia. So anyone, anytime I see him on a picture, I don't like it. Right. So, um, but Arsenal Football Club is bigger. You know, hopefully bigger than him. So I don't want to get wrapped up in that. So yeah, Elliot, I'm, I'm just want to see what we do. The, what we need to do is quite obvious. Actually. I'd rather focus on how we want to play and how well, we should okay. play. Okay, so so let's talk about the stuff that matters, Clive. I'll, I'll give you another question so you can actually talk about something fun. Well, I don't know if the football's fun. You tell me. It is pretty clear to me at this point that Arteta's trying what he can, but based on preseason, and let's be clear, clear I don't care about losing to Spurs in preseason. I'd rather beat them, but I don't care. It's meaningless. The result doesn't matter. But I do care how we play and if there are signs of improvement. I do think that the first 11 we put out against Spurs is probably the first 11 for Brentford or pretty darn close to it. We'll, we'll get on some of the positives because there are some. But let's just talk about the attack for a minute. It's still not firing. And Aubameyang left still doesn't look right to me. Left doesn't look right. Doesn't look correct to me. How about that? Yeah. Um, but I do think that Lacazette up front and Aubameyang on the left is probably what we will have until they feel ready to throw Saka into it, at which point I think Aubameyang will go back to being striker. But I don't know because I don't know that he's playing well enough to take that position from Lacazette. Clive, I still just see a team that can possess the ball well without really hurting the opposition. And I... I think that was the thing we needed to fix going into the season. And as it stands right now, that doesn't feel fixed. So where for you is the principal pain point that's causing that inability to, to hurt the opposition with the possession we have? Yeah, I spoke about this a little bit on the instant reaction pod yesterday. I think it's down to some of the players that we have and how they play and, and their influence on the team. And that's just who they are. And they're strong-minded players that play a certain way. They have primary skills, which really do come out in our pattern. How we progress the ball down the left-hand side with Shaka and Tierney in particular. But the missing piece is Saka in there. He he provides the glue, he provides the devil, and Smith-Rowe does on the other side. So having a Bamiyang there, who's a, a non-creative, non-scoring wide man that does, that can't outrun his fullback at the moment, is not what he really wants to be. And, and we shouldn't judge him in that situation as well. Lacazette plays a certain way in in the in the pocket as such. He doesn't really have a huge box presence. Um, Pepe is a hard player to read. We know this, and so influence over our pattern is really defined by what the manager asks them to do, where he puts them on the pitch, and by their primary skills and their dominant play, which they have. And so, what we what I tend to look for are players that have variation to their game. 
And we miss Sacco massively, and his influence was immediate. It's immediate. And I can't stress to you enough, when a good player comes on the pitch, how it lifts other players. I mean, it was just no coincidence. Since Sacco came on, how he was re- the areas he was receiving the ball. And we should, like, Clive, by the way, it pains me to do it, but we should give credit to the Spurs fans as well who applauded oh, him yes. onto the pitch in what I thought was a, a really moving and classy display. I'm glad you said that. We didn't say it yesterday, so well said, and I totally agree with you. And but as soon as he came on, do you see where he's picking the ball up? He wasn't fixed to his position. He was going from left. He picked up the ball right side of the area. And I want to see a little bit more of that, a bit more creative movement. You know, movement is everything. If you don't create a pump for somebody and just stay in your zone, they can just box you off and they can force you into areas. Everyone knows that Arsenal are not very good at crossing, well, not say crossing football. Our ability to move in the box is not great. You know, so... um. So basically, that ability is is poor, in my opinion, and it has been poor for a long time, despite having a really good crossing player in Tierney, Saka as well. So our movement, that's something you can coach, but I don't think we show enough desire to gamble and to really get in front of people. So I think that's in our 30-year-old bodies. You know, I honestly don't think we're going to change that too much. But So I think we need to make some changes there, and I'm not saying that we're a crossing team. Crossing is not a bad thing. But we don't play like a team that knows a crossing is coming. A cross is coming. We don't attack the box. We don't flood the box. We don't do a number of things. But at the moment, the old influences like Shaka, Tierney, Bellerin, overlapping, um, they are still prevalent in this team. And so, why would we think the attack is going to change? You take your your best centre forward, who's out of form, put him on the left wing. You lose a creative player there. We all know we're missing one. The other centre forward is much more of a build-up player. doesn't really hit the box. It's sort of really easy to sort of work out what's going wrong. This may change, by the way, when we're in competitive games where you really have to work harder and really spin a bit more aggressively and you want to win your jewels a little bit more. This is false football. I tell you now, it's false football. But having good players make you better. And I think Saka explained to me as I was watching that game, as soon as he came on, I felt better about our attack. And so we need more like him. And this is why I do think one of the primary things we need to do is really look at the quality, the top end, centre forward and attacking midfield. Shock. That's something everyone agrees with. But it's really important because when you walk onto the pitch, your forwards give you the hope. They are the ones that make you feel like we can do this today. We can do this. And at the moment, my hope index of our forwards is quite low and, and has been for quite a while. And we managed to work our way around it with 19 and 20-year-olds. That that can't really continue. We need a lot more hope in our team. And uh, we need forwards we can actually build around. And I don't think the forwards we have are players we can build around. I think it's a really, really massive area for Arsenal now. I think it's almost the biggest biggest transfer apart from backup goalkeeper to be fair mm. well and it is it is the hardest problem to fix scoring goals is the hardest thing to do in football and we are really wedded to the pieces that we have economically and they are at the you know at least in the striker position the wrong side of prime i do think that you know when we gave obama in the contract i did have a question about whether that was a sensible thing to do and part of it is just because you you're really committing yourself to needing an old striker 
to deliver the goals well into his his post prime years. And Tim, I think it's funny, right? Like everybody wants to have an, an argument for why Aubameyang is declining. Confidence, attitude, playing on the left, and all of those things could be true. But it kind of makes me feel like <laughs> someone who lives surrounded by beehives, laying outside covering himself in honey. And then when he starts feeling a stinging sensation all over his body going, mm, must be sunburn, I better get out of the sun. Like, maybe the reason the 32-year-old Pacey striker is declining is because he is a 32-year-old striker who relies on his explosive athleticism. Like, I'm not saying that's a reason. We don't know. But it's weird the way we resist the conclusion that the reason the 32-year-old is declining is because he's 32. I don't, you know, yeah. it... it <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, Tim, it's is that crazy? Like it, it, it's it, definitely implied as it's a reason, It's weird that it? we want to resist it as a reason, though, isn't it? Because it's... I mean, it feels like the one that you would have to say is the most likely, I would think. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say I'm I'm kind of more so I, I listened to the instant reaction pod that you guys did. Um and I'm I'm more I'm still more because I don't really detect a loss of pace or explosiveness, although I accept that explosiveness is perhaps difficult to kind of I mean, it's not difficult to perceive with the naked eye, but you know what I mean? Like a slight drop in it is, and as you said, a slight drop in it can mean a lot, but I, I'm still not entirely convinced by it. I, I still um, maybe come round to, I guess it was Clive's kind of soft factor explanation about confidence. I Whether it's confidence, I just feel there's a disconnection there. I feel that there's... a a dislocation has happened and this is where this is where Arteta's inexperience as a manager kind of worries me because um you know wherever the fault lines are or whatever like this player just seems to be drifting um to me there just seems to be a mutual drift be between him and the club and this is where like a really good like man manager like brings you back in you know can you think of and, any um, other older, very highly paid players who drifted a little bit and it became a problem for us? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I I, I don't think this is that stark. Like, I don't think no, Aubameyang no. signed that contract thinking, ah, this is my pension done. I, I'd love to know what kind of conversation was had because I've just got this kind of feeling that it was either, oh, trust me, we're going to make you, like, I, I can't really explain it yet, but, like, we will move heaven and earth to make you, like, the center of this team and everything or whether he was made promises, but it, it there just seems to be a drift there to me. It just, Abamyang gives me the impression of a guy who was, I won't use the word promised, but maybe, maybe a discussion was had that hasn't really materialized yet, whether that's, you know, playing up front or whether that's, uh, well, you might play on the left wing a bit, but here's what we're going to do to make sure you get loads of chances and you're going to be, you know, more like more Mo Salah, uh, you know, the, than Ray Parler um, mm. as a winger. And and it's just, there just seems to be a sense of dislocation. And, and the issue as well, I mean, we bought three really good, really expensive forwards and there's just no combination of them that works. And the other conclusion I'm rapidly coming to, I just don't see how you can have Pepe and Aubameyang in the same forward line because I think I know Pepe a bit better now and he's he's like he's a player you want in the last twenty yards as well. Like I have I have no interest in seeing Nicola Pepe get the ball anywhere else other than the last twenty yards. Like 
more and more I'm looking at him almost as a kind of more of like a Mo Salah, like, you know. And by the leave, box, not by the touchline, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Leave him out of the build-up completely and then put him in positions where he can finish. And I don't think you can have two guys in your forward line like that. Um, I'm not really sure how that works. So, like, it, it seems to me... I mean, I say we've got to make some hard choices, but again, like I said, like the market doesn't really allow us to make hard choices because even if we made the hard choice where we don't want Aubameyang anymore, anymore, well, he's not going anywhere now. Um, we can't shift Lacazette. So it, it, we do just, we seem to be really clogged and stuck in this area because we've, you know, this is this is what I was saying about ba- bad recruitment, baguettes, bad recruitment. Like we've just bought three players who are really good in their own right but just no combination of them works and I I just think with the Bamiang I don't think it's anything like sinister like he's down tools or anything like that I just sense like a drift is, ha- is happening there like a sense of dislocation and disengagement and hmm, this this I... wasn't what I thought it would be yeah I, I, I think there's something in that and I can remember how I felt pre-North London derby Remember Aubameyang had a, a run of games at centre forward and he was starting to find himself, remember? And then suddenly, North London Derby, he turns up late, he's dropped. I was horrified at the time, thinking, oh my God, that's a brave thing to do against Spurs at home when you've lost the away game. And since then, although everything seems to be okay relationship-wise, since then, what's happened? Well, it's hard, right? Because also the the malaria happened in between. And so that just, it it took what was a small little blow-up moment, Clive, and exaggerated it because he was then out of the team for an extended period due to illness. And he never really got his chance to come back and prove himself post-North London Derby, you know, to to establish, hey, I know I'm really refocused. I bought in. I'm ready to go. I feel sharp. And who knows how long that malaria could be impacting him. Yeah, it could be. I think over the summer he worked really, really hard. I see all the effort he's putting in. I'm not rubbishing him. And I went to the game the other week, and he's not slow. I'm telling you now, there is no physical drop-off I can see. And all I do... Did you see the way he tried to take on that volley in the box? I mean, I know it was offside, but... Like, yeah, well, that, it's that, just, that's, just, yeah, yeah. that's just football. That's just football, right? You so don't. Some, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you missed some. I look at him, I look at his physique, and I see... I, I say, okay, you, you look like you're still here, you're still engaged. But what I don't see is enough repeat sprinting. But it's pre-season. It's pre-season. But he's the one that gets shifted. Because he can play out wide, he's the one that gets shifted. We judge him with Lacazette, but he's the one that's playing in outside of his position. Lacazette's exactly where he wants to be. And I think when you've been given the franchise contract, but you're the one that gets shifted around, you're the one that maybe is not given... The, the love you thought you was going to get. I think that he is affected by that. You know, I really do. I think he's affected by it. And I think, when I say confidence, I mean, he's a confidence guy that's really outwardly showy, but maybe has just a shield for the fact that he's got some insecurities about his own status within the game, within the club. And that's maybe that's why he hasn't reached a very, very, very top level he should have done. So he's someone that needs to be managed, arm round the shoulder, I still think there's another year in him. We can't have any year of what we had last year again because that's not really acceptable. And we're all worried. We're all scarred. We're all looking because of what previous things have happened. And I do think it's soft at the moment. It's soft factors. I really do. 
I hope so, because those can be fixed. (laughs) Yeah, those can be fixed with conversations. Those can be fixed with a goal. As simple as that, a good, important goal. A winning streak, you know, just something that that gets everybody rowing in the right direction. I think, look, it's pretty clear that certain things just aren't going to get us where we want to go. I think Aubameyang left and Lacazette central. I'm hoping that we're doing it at the moment or did it in this game because we just didn't have the options we'd prefer available. And I think that is the case. I would say that, like, this business of Lacazette dropping in is sort of like a false nine then having to turn and make his way to the box while, meanwhile, there's no one in the box when we're there. It, it all looks a little stale. And I, I read a great tweet, and unfortunately I can't remember who it's by, but I think it's a good point. They said, the way Firmino has played for Liverpool with two elite scoring forwards and an elite creative fullbacks on the flanks has really broken people's brains about striker that now we can talk about any strikers being a false nine like Firmino or Firmino like Lacazette's not Firmino and Arsenal aren't Liverpool and you need a striker who gets in the box and scores goals like it just it it isn't you can't just point to Firmino and say he's playing the Firmino role because he's not Firmino and we don't have what they have we have a Tierney who's maybe as good as Robertson we don't have a, a Mane or a Salah no matter what you think of our wide options and we sure as heck don't have a Trent Alexander-Arnold so it's not the same thing and we don't have the pressing system that they have so you know, none of those analogies work, and talking about Lacazette in the quote Firmino role doesn't doesn't work. And it, you could the, say yeah. Lacazette as he scores way more than Firmino, right? Yeah. So, and so yeah. it's just it's just a description of how a player plays in the in the false nine role with two strikers flying in behind him. Um, we, we don't seem to work with that because our fullbacks are not you know, one fullback is not as creative as Trent Alexander Arnold, who's got I read something today he's got the highest expected threat of any other fullback in, in yeah. the league shock. And with right, full so, respect to our wide players, none of them are Salah or Mane. Yeah. They may be they, someday. They're not. they're not now. <laughs> they're not now. And we are who we are. I think we need to create our front four in a different way that works yeah. for us with our talent and just accept it. But we've got choices to make and we don't seem able to make them. And that's a squad issue. That's an age issue. We have to make the hard choices, as Tim alluded to. We have to because we're just looking lumpy with too many too many of the wrong skill sets on the pitch. Can I, I will say, about, yeah, oh yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I will say we've got some unavailability as well, haven't we? With with Saka and, and Martelli, and we need to add one. So um, that's and Thomas Party. Let me ask you a question: Do you do you think the lineup we used against Spurs is the lineup we use against Brentford? Um, it could be, but I I would it could be, and if it is, it is. I I do think Chambers is a good balancing act for Ben White. I think if Ben White is going to drive, I think Chambers will naturally drop in. And so I quite like that balance. I do like a one, I have a natural leaning towards one fullback that really pushes on and one that wants to sit in and invert a little bit more and is happy defending the back post, etc. So I do have a leaning for those centre half right backs, if you know what I mean. I don't mind a Ben Goffrey at right back. I don't mind a bigger right back compared to what Tierney offers. So he can roll around into a three. I quite like that. So, but Bellerin, if Bellerin plays, he plays, and that's the end of it. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. my team. Well, so, so a few things about the Spurs game that that I think are interesting. The one thing though that I we should emphasize: first of all, it's a friendly, so who cares about the score? I think what we're looking at is how we play, what the system was, and who's getting picked. And so one of the big, big decisions that's going to be upcoming, Tim, is central midfield against Brentford and, and where we go while Party is out. And I just think this is this is a competency test for Arteta for me. 
Do you have the courage to go with the player who can take us somewhere, who has a skill set that could be valuable, who we may have some kind of ceiling with? Or are you going to defer to the experienced player you know who's safe but really doesn't take us anywhere? And maybe that, that binary is false and you want to reject it and certainly feel free to if you want. Uh, I throw it out there because I'm insufferable. But I think he's got to play Lakanga against Brentford and mm-hmm. see what he's got because we can go somewhere with Shaq and Lakanga if it works. I don't think we can go anywhere with Shaq and Elneny. So... He did start him in this game, I think, yep. with an eye towards doing it on Friday, which would be a great sign. Do you tend to agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think the only two positions in this team um, with regards to Friday, maybe not long term, um, but with regards to Friday, I think it was about, um, you know, let's have a look at Bellerin. I, you know, I didn't see the game, so I can't comment on whether his audition was any good. But I tend to think maybe Chambers just about in the box seat. But let's let's see what Bellerin's got. And yeah, Lukonga and Elneny. The the rest, I think, pretty much picks itself. Although I still wouldn't be surprised to see Saka start. Um, and I guess then the question would be, well, who drops out um, of the forward line? The answer to that is, I, I don't really care. <laughs> um, because there's a case for all three. Because they're both really. killing it right now in world class <laughs> and they'll both be amazing? Good, good. Okay, um, back to looking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I... I, I, yeah, de- definitely. And the thing is with Lukonga as well, like this is a player Arteta signed, right? Or he signed off on a signing. So it's not like, you know, it's not, it's not like the Pepe thing where it's a player he inherited that he, you know, has some talent, but probably doesn't fit. Like this is a player here. Well, I say he identified. He at the very least signed off on this, right? So he likes. You can call player. it his player. It's his player. I mean, yeah, he's the manager. Exactly. We signed him in his window. It's his player. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's that's you know that's one of the things I've been excited about this this preseason about signing players who like you know not just in terms of age profile but in terms of being a bit more progressive about being able to push us up the pitch, and the thing is for Lukonga as well all of the all of the kind of radars and data I've seen say that he maps quite well to a party, um, maybe more so than a Xhaka. At this stage, and I have heard it said that really his role, at least initially, might be back up to party. Which, if things continue as they have been for party, might might be quite a busy role for him. Because, um, like, I can see El Nenny and party together. Like, I I can make my peace with that. Jacker and El Nenny know like that 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 doesn't go. Um, and so, like, without parties, like more progressive kind of passing and that greater centrality, like it has to be Lukonga. It has to be because. Jacques and Elneny, like they're, they're both defenders that will drop back in, into the defensive line to create, you know, what are we going to do? Create like a back four and have literally no one in midfield? Like, we can't do that. It has to be Lukonga. You know, he's, look, he's 21. He's got plenty of experience. He's not, you know, he's not 17. And I, I appreciate like the Premier League from the Belgian League. I appreciate that's a bit of a step up, but, I, you know, I, I, I don't. I don't think it's anything to enormously worry about. I would absolutely play Lukonga unless we have no designs upon like um, doing any sort of passing in the final third. Like we know what the problems are with this team in terms of how long it takes them to build play and how long it takes to get that ball into the final third. We know we're going to have a pretty lumpy front three probably that we've seen together quite a bit, and we know they don't work but they all have individual quality. And so really what we're going to have to do is play the guy that gets the ball forward better. And then probably there is unfortunately going to be an element of let's just hope that like one of those really good forwards 
does something maybe individual um, to to kind of win us this game. Um, but yeah, absolutely 100% start Lukonga. And, and he, he's been, maybe it's just because he's new and I don't know his wrinkles at the moment, but he's been one player I have been excited about this preseason. It kind of, sometimes you get a feeling about a player in preseason. Uh, not necessarily they will sweep the world before them and be the world's best player in a year or 18 months, but you just think, yeah, okay, I like I can see what you bring to this team really, really quickly. It kind of reminds me of that preseason when we saw Colo Torre in central defence for the first time. And I just thought, yeah, this fits. Like, you fit with Sol Campbell. That, like, I've got a good feeling about this. And, um, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be as valuable to us as Colo Torre was per se, but I've, I've just got, I've got a good feeling about this player. And mm. um, the, the other thing is other teams don't know him yet. And there isn't much of an element of surprise in this Arsenal team at the moment. And I do think that that has value as well. Even if he just plays the first couple of games and then just kind of fades back into the background for another couple of months, I think that's fine. Yeah, and I mean, you you never know. When you get the opportunity to play, you get the opportunity to earn the shirt, right? And I, I think if Lakanga starts really well the first three games... Well, then we'll see. I think one of the things I'm a little concerned about from these last two preseason games, Clive, though, is Arteta doesn't have the answer yet. Fair enough. It's not a perfect squad, and he's trying to figure it out. But, you know, last season we only repeated the same 11 once all season. And we tried a lot of different systems and a lot of different ways of doing things. Sometimes injury-enforced and sometimes just to try to land on the right solution. These last two games... I think Scott posted that we allowed 5.5 expected goals over these last two games. Again, just preseason. But just hear me out because systems matter. <laughs> we did try to push up more. We did push the fullbacks forward. We did play a bit of a higher line. Against Chelsea, it was almost comical. Okay, so we wrote it off. But even against Spurs, for all the possession we had and pushed them back, the minute they kicked the ball long, they were in. A lot. I mean, not, not like Chelsea were, but we struggled to snuff out that danger. And... You know, the one thing that has really worked in Arteta's favor is while the attack needs to come online, defensively, we didn't give things away. And so it does appear that this is something he wants to try to push everybody up a little bit higher. And maybe he feels that that will create more pressure on opposing defenses and allow us to create more in the attack. The problem is we didn't really create anything against Spurs in particular, but we did still look vulnerable to this long ball. I think the one positive is Ben White looked fantastic. For as much as a preseason game can matter, Ben White looked fantastic. And I, I think that is great news and a great sign. Pablo Murray, whew, a lot less so. Do you have any concerns, Clive, that as Arteta is still tinkering, still in the lab, still trying to figure it out, this particular iteration, this high line concept, does not look like it's ready to come out of the oven for the Premier League to me? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if he's a high line, but I like uh, we're a bit more front-footed defending, right? So I'll give an example of what's happening. It's, it's it's very interesting when when we judge players, we judge them on the ball, and that's his natural. Your eye goes to what they do. When the Congo does a, a lovely no-touch turn around the corner, first touch beats a man, big touch around the corner, off we go diagonal out to Tini, we go great stuff. But actually, I'll give you another scenario. Long diagonal from their right side of defence, right onto Ben White. Ben White's running backwards on his toes. He's got to head it into midfield. And at that point, you want your midfielders to win the race, to stop them getting that second ball. And we didn't do that very well. Right, so again, 
that's a development area for the Conga. You know, he's got to get back in. He's not just facing your goal. Can you get back in? Can you win the race? These are things that are just developing and being learned the entire time. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a, a major thing that happened, but nothing too crazy. I mean, this this is what preseason's for. That's a quick coaching message. We are vulnerable to the first ball, but it's a quick coaching message. So, yeah. I... I don't want to like push back too strongly on this, but I, I like I do kind of wonder where we where we are going though, Clyde. Because the thing that that also you remember when Emery first arrived, the funny thing is he had those really really hard games to start, right? Didn't we have like a a, a winnable game and then two hard ones, sort of like this season? I want to say it was almost Chelsea and City or Liverpool. It was Man City at home, followed by Chelsea away. Those yeah. were his first two games. Yeah, and if you remember, I think I even said at the time I like what we tried to do in those games. More than what we did subsequently. Then the third game, I think it was West Ham, maybe, and we we yeah. like changed it at halftime, and from there everything kind of fell apart for him. So I mean, I mean, Tim, th- this is really what I think is an interesting psychological battle for Arteta to wage because he's got Brentford to start the season, and then two really hard games where we may lose those games because a lot of people will lose to Chelsea and City this season. Does it send him back into the lab tinkering some more? Because I really do think the advantage of having only the Premier League is. You try to find a best 11, you try to find a system, and you really lean into that for the 38 games and, and try to leverage the ability to fine-tune that one thing. So how do you think that that sort of trick of the schedule might impact him, given that we look like we're still sort of tinkering, and if it goes wrong against Chelsea and City, it could lead to that sort of spiral of, again, 11s changing every week and systems being toyed with, because I really, really think now we got to nail down what it is we do and perfect it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I think that will be a huge test um, for Arteta. I think if he's smart, he'll kind of think, look, there's a fair to good chance I'm going to lose both of them and I'm just going to have to resist the noise. Um, and, you know, there'll be fans in the stadium now and that's that's something that we haven't had for, for quite a while. Yep, for better and worse, and, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess to his credit, like we, we played, I mean... He went a bit galaxy praying at City away, but that was that was before the result came in. You know, we, we compete well. I don't know how much we lost one nil to City twice, and you know you can say on the face of it we competed, but you know we probably had about three meaningful shots across those two games, if that. You know, we beat Chelsea twice, so we we did like we weren't thrashed or embarrassed by those teams last season, and in fact we embarrassed Chelsea <laughs> a couple of times. Um, but yeah, he, he is going to have to hold his nerve after these games. I was thinking earlier today, I was thinking like I was going to do a poll on this on Twitter and I still might like, would you take four points from the first three games? Cause I would, mm-hmm. I absolutely would. Um, yep. you know, and I imagine that would go win at Brentford, although I'm not taking that for granted. Draw with Chelsea, lose to city. Well, let me um, say this. I'd take four points only if three of them came from the win at Brentford, right? Because in a way, I'd regard that as better than yeah, than yeah. the the other ways of doing it. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like probably a better portent for our season. Exa- that's my um, point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, because those are the teams we're going to have to take points off. Really, um, yeah, exactly. Whereas we beat Chelsea twice last season, we finished eighth. Um, so I, I'm I'm with you. I do think he's going to have to hold his nerve. At the same time, the team isn't really going to be what he wants it to be anyway. I don't think. Certainly not with party. 
Um, there, that that kind of changes things. I don't see him doing anything mad like changing the formation um, or anything like that. I I do think I do think it's four two three one for most of the season, and maybe maybe eventually that will drift towards a four three three. But I think that that's the latter is more likely to be decided by recruitment, and we're not going to do the recruitment necessary. I don't think to do that this season. So. Um, I, I don't think things will change too much, but really it's about, I, I, I think I heard Jim from East Lower describe it as Arteta's starch collar football. Um, and I thought that was a really, really nice, like ex- that was a really nice description of kind mm-hmm. of how it feels watching Arsenal at the moment, that it's just, it's quite stayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that's going to be the real challenge. And to be honest, I, I don't think that the results against Chelsea or City will influence that side of it. But essentially, it's the attacking side that's got to change. Um, and I don't see anything happening in those City and Chelsea games that cause him to you know think, oh, maybe I have to be more defensive or go back to a back three. I mean, maybe he will. Um, but I I don't see that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's more a case of him holding his nerve whatever happens yeah I think the the Chelsea game he did. He went for a back three last year didn't we when we beat them I think we flipped to a back three the only time yes, we did that's true I think we did yeah yeah and not, I, I not, can see that not the one on Boxing Day um, that was the famous 4-2-3-1 no, where Smith Rowe when we beat him away yeah, from away home game, yeah. Yeah, away yeah. from home yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, and they were much more set in a back three then because it was Lampard's Chelsea wasn't it the yeah, first yeah, time that's around, right, right? Mm-hmm. so so I see him doing that again, and we match him up pretty well. And, and, and that's what we, exactly what we should do when we play a, a back three team. We should match him up. I think, as I said the other week, I'm not sure when I said it, but we're trying to do something with this team, which I'm not sure they're capable of being. We're trying to be a possession team. And the way we play, as I was saying earlier, it's not very varied. It lacks a lot of disguise. It lacks a lot of ingenuity, particularly at the base of our midfield when party's not there. So we've improved our distribution from the right-hand side of defence. We need to see what happens on left-hand side of defence. Tierney, we know, is top. Right-back, I think, is an issue for us. I think it's a bigger issue than what I imagined until I went the other week. I'm thinking, this has got to change. We've got to protect our investment and our right centre-half. We need something better that allows him to be better. Our right-side progression, once it leaves Ben White, is poor. We don't carry the ball up to Pepe. Pepe's dumb, too wide. That's the coach for me, get him inside nearer the goal. Mm-hmm. And I think we are, it's a much quicker route to Rome to be a team that presses, tackles, transitions. And I think we're building a team where we've got too many pieces to change at a time when we can't change them to be a possession team that has ingenuity around the box, lots of flicks around the corners, lots of patterns. We are just not that team. Aubameyang and Lacazette can't do it. Pepe, I don't know when it's going to happen. Smith, Rowe and Saka shouldn't be doing it every three days for this club. They shouldn't be. So we need to buy people to be that to be that team. And we can't buy them because we can't sell our dross. So the quickest way to Rome for me is to be a far more of a pressing team, a more aggressive team to create transitions because those forwards we have in Aubameyang and Pepe, our investment, do like transition, broken play football. And so this is me. I think I, I, this is why I disagree on where I think we're heading. But it's not a complete picture yet. It won't be a complete picture till September the first. This team's identity is not defined. It's exactly the same as last year, apart from we've got a twenty-three-year-old David Luiz. 
It's exactly the same team. Nothing has changed. You know, so why should our opinions change? So until we see this team, then I think we can really judge how we're moving and what sort of an attack we're going to really have. So I, I get a bit frustrated. I have to wait. We all have to wait. Yeah. It shouldn't be this way. But we, we can't. The first games, I agree, four points would be great. Accumulate points. Don't be a headline for talk sport. Accumulate points. And then when we come back in September, we go again and, and the real league starts. You know, Tim used the analogy of starch collar football. I think it's a little more like um, the old Hollywood movie sets that are really, really beautiful, but they're actually just like the the, the flat piece of wood, right? Like they're like frames that they, you can just tip them over. There's something really attractive about the way we possess the ball and move the ball and occupy space and and the positional football we play, but there's nothing about it. It does not hurt the opposition. It does not cause them threat. It does not create danger. And as we now appear to be trying to push more resources into the attacking half, really try to support that attack with more bodies in the opposition half, not only do we not seem to be creating that danger, but we seem to be losing some of the comfort that we have at the other end. Elliot, I, you know, I was going to say, do you think we have special attackers? Well, I mean, so that's a mixed, there's a mixed answer to that, Clive, and I'll make it really quickly, which is, do I think we have elite top four attackers? Maybe just outside of that. Do I think we are getting from our attackers the most out of them? Not remotely. Not remotely. No, I, I think, think there is more we can get. Like, if you're saying to me, are we maxing out our talent up front? I No, not remotely. I don't think we are. Do you? Yeah, I, I think I think we can get more out of Pepe. Do you think we're I getting do. enough chances with the talent we have that we're that we're creating enough threat with the talent with the talent we have? I, I think towards the end of last season, Pepe was our best forward. Agreed. And mm-hmm. so yeah. we're hoping that can start again in preseason. It's preseason. He's got through it. He's not been injured. Great. All right. So we can get more from him. Party really helps that. Helps that link on that right hand side. He's gone. All right. So that's going to be an interesting thing. What happens there? Abamyang and Lacazette. We're getting. A lot out of Lacazette, the one we don't want. We're not getting enough out of Aubameyang, clear. Saka's going to be great. Smithrow's going to be great. We need someone to support them, absolutely. But I still feel that with those names, apart Saka, Pepe, Smithrow, I've got really encouraging signs. I'm not sure Lacazette and Aubameyang scare anybody. Yeah, I mean, that's totally fair. I think... It is, it is all linked together and it is all really tricky because you can certainly say the manager decided he wanted to keep Aubameyang and, and really plant his flag there. But like setting that aside, I definitely think we need more quality up front and some of that will happen organically as Martinelli, Saka, and Smithrow come into their prime. But like I do think we can create more chances. I, I, I think the football can... I think we can be coached to create more chances is essentially what I'm saying. And that's not me saying Arteta's doing a terrible job, get rid of him. I think that's his next big thing he's got to do. He has to find a way to get us to do that. And to be fair, there were times last season where we did go through runs where our attack was clicking. So it's not like it can't happen, but it has to happen a little more consistently. Let me just ask you point blank, Clive. Season starts Friday. How do you feel we're set for it? Do do you feel we're set for an assault up the table this season or not? No, at this moment in time, I I don't think we are. I'm I'm normally very optimistic. Same. uh, I would... I always, I always we're look. Weirdly. <laughs> but I, I just don't think we're done. See, this is incomplete. 
and see another rumour for another midfielder appeared from, from France. This is not done. The names we'll probably end up with, we don't even know. This is just not complete yet, you know, and I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I'm a little bit concerned about the style of attack without Saka and Party for sure. I don't like this, but I never liked it before. So why am I going to like it now? I was desperate for Party to come and Saka's our best player. So there you go, right? So um, add them both in. We look differently. I know it's a, I know it's a really poor thing to say, but good players make a coach look great. You know, they really do. Trust me, I've seen it with myself. <laughs> good mm-hmm. players make a coach look great. You know, if a Bamiyang does his little double step over, comes inside, puts it in top corner, he looks great. Everyone looks great. Everyone's clapping and we're winning trophies. If he's put in the seats like he did yesterday, it's the same player, same guy, same position. We saw the shot. Where did it go? Yeah. Right? Good players make everything look good. We got the ball to that area. One was in the seats, one was in the net. It's just it's just the way it goes, right? We have to get more from these players. We have to make them feel comfortable. I agree. But I also started to look at how everyone else sees us. And I don't think they're worried about Aubameyang and Lacazette. I don't think they are. You know, they don't know anything about Balogun. They know about Saka, so we can double up on him. Smith Rowe's got a number 10 shirt. Good, we'll, we'll, have a, we'll kick his ankles. He's showing us his shins anyway. Pepe, box of chocolates. Hope he does well. But if we get in, if we can press him to a touchline and whack him early, will he come back? You know, we've got to make sure we're far more mobile, far more creative in our movement, and have so much more jeopardy. And you know, if I was talking to those players, I would say, start moving, start come out of your zones, trust each other on the ball, follow your pass, and start to penetrate these teams, and really run into the box with intention. We're not doing any of that. We're happy passing to each other in a pattern play. We need to be more aggressive, really need to be much more energetic and pressy, create transitions and start to work these teams a lot harder than we have done in preseason. But that may come when points are on the table. Yeah, I I mean, look, one of my favorite times in the Premier League was when Andre Villas-Boas coached Spurs. I really enjoyed it because they played a high line with low ball pressure and they got absolutely slaughtered. It was hilarious. But like, it's not hilarious watching us do something similar. So if we're going to play this way, the, we got to press the hell out of the ball. We got to engage. We got to get these players. You know, it's got to be that that Pep Guardiola thing, right? When you lose the ball, five seconds dead sprint back towards it because otherwise, you're setting those up those defenders up on an island. And I thought Ben White looked brilliant, but you know he can't ca- cover an entire defensive half on his own. Which means Tim, I'll, I'll sort of leave it with this: that back line. I mean, if we're still sort of figuring out how to make the attack work, we know Tierney is the guy. We know Ben White is the guy. For right now, Leno is the guy. I think it'll be Chambers. We have four right backs, which is always a good sign of squad construction. None of them are good enough. That, again, how do you know you're doing it right when you have four right backs and you don't want to pick any of them? But I think it'll be Chambers. The guy who starts next to Ben White will probably be Gabriel for most of this season if he stays fit. But right now, that isn't him. And Pablo Marie, whew, that's a scary one. That is a scary one. I want to get your take on this because we talked about it on the Instant Reaction Pod, but we, we haven't had a chance to chat on it. The... The Saliba versus Ben White wars on social media and in Discord and everything have been tedious, exhausting, and violent. And in fact, we were all wrong because it wasn't Ben White or William Saliba. Should it have been Ben White and William Saliba? Because with Saliba in the team, with Ben White, you can go somewhere. With Pablo Marie in the team with Ben White, you're pulling your hair out and biting your nails off. I just, you know what it is? I'll say it like this. 
Saliba is Lakanga and Maria is El Neni, right? Would you rather have Lakanga in there because he could really take you somewhere? You know who El Neni is and he's not taking you there. That's what the Maria and the holding, Maria and holding are El Neni. We know what they are. It's not quite good enough. It won't take us where we want to go. Saliba's a highly rated young guy who maybe could, but he's playing for Marseille. So is, is that really the irony now that we look at the Ben White situation? Actually, thank God we've got him. I got to say it. Thank God we've got him. But maybe the issue is that we, sh- we, we needed the guy next to him because Pablo Marie looks really scary to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I said, I didn't see the game. So I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not as um, down on Marie um, really. I, I, I just think he's, he's a backup center half and that's yeah. kind of the end of it. I think better Arsenal teams have had worse backup center halves than Marie. I, I think more the issue really is that, that Gabriel hasn't yet um, quite perhaps gone to the level that we really wanted to make it um, kind of less relevant, I guess. Um, and, you know, he's picked up injuries. And so we're, essentially we're playing Marie a lot. And I, I think also what happened last season was um, we didn't want to play Holding and Gabriel together. And they felt that Holding and Marie made more sense because Pablo Marie's a bit more secure in possession than Gabriel. Um, but I, so I, and, you know, I, I watched Pablo Marie play a very, very high defensive line very, very well. Um, at Flamengo, doing it at Flamengo and doing it in the Premier League are admittedly two very different things. I, I just think, I, I don't think Pablo Maria is an enormous problem um, for Arsenal. Maybe if like Gabriel gets injured for the entire season, um, then yeah, maybe he does become that. But I, I'm not I'm not quite as down on him really. I, I, I just think he's a six or seven out of 10 centre-back um, and really what we should be looking for is the partnership between Ben White and Gabriel because these are two centre-halves that, again, Arteta signed. He signed yeah. off on big fees for both of them. So that has to be with a view that they can play together. I have to say, Gabriel, like I was looking at the possession stats um, today and like Gabriel's passing is not fan- like it's not disastrous, but it's not fantastic. It's, it's, be- it's um, behind Rob Holdings. Um, and not even just in terms of completion, but in terms of like progressive passes, he makes quite a few less than Rob Holding, which is, and, and he's a guy we look at and say, well, he can't play the way we want to play. I think that's a style thing, though, Tim. If you know mm. Gabriel, what he does is he drives forward yeah, and then yeah, drops yeah. it off three yards. <laughs> he almost yeah. runs it, he runs it to his man and then drops it off to his left, in and, and then jogs back into his hole. So I think. That may, he doesn't do the fizzing passes through the lines. He runs through the lines and, yeah, and drops true. it. Yeah, true, true. Maybe I should look at the carry numbers. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not like, yeah, I, I, I just don't view Murray as, as a massive issue personally, only if we had to play him like, yeah, if we got a big injury back there. But, again, I kind of think that that's probably the, the position for most clubs to be honest so I, I it doesn't enormously frighten me no to be honest but if, if Saliba can come back and be that left centre back great I'm I'm sure that he is I'm I'm certain his ceiling is a lot higher than Pablo Marie's and that's kind of fine um but we but I don't think Saliba's ever done that has he, he played left centre half so it'd be yeah it he has be. a few times, but yeah. I, I think we, well, I assumed we bought him from the right until we bought Ben White. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? And um, so, yeah, I'm with you, Tim. I'm not so down on Marie, and I saw the game, right? He just mm. did an, an idiotic thing, tried to avoid giving away a penny, ended up on the ground, and it just looked bad. 
I'm not remotely worried. He's better than pa- uh, Pascal Sigan, and that's all I feel. That's how I judge him. He was a backup centre back with a left foot, so um, it's as simple as that. He, he's doing his role, and we should be looking at Gabriel and really looking at how he gets man managed and how he plays, because that's our investment right there. Yeah, mm. agree. Well, let's leave it there. Paul's going to come on after the break to add. Well, I don't know. He just didn't want to be left out. Let's say it like that. I'm kidding. He's going to add cogent analysis that we desperately need in this time when there's not enough cogent analysis going around. Tim, I'll ask you just real quick, though, what I asked Clive. Are you are you feeling nervous? Like, I went into this summer. I can't help it. The summer, everything washes over me. I feel better. I look at the players in a new light. I'm excited about them, and I think, here we go. We're, we're going to be special. And, like, I am more worried right now than I usually feel on the brink of a new season. I, I'm not I'm not being able to engage that optimism drive that usually hits me right before the season starts. Yeah, yeah, and I understand that. And obviously a lot of that's to do with the transfer window, right? Um, and and I, a, I always expected the market to be very, very, very difficult, so I'm not that surprised. And I guess a few weeks ago, um, you know, because if we, let's say we bought someone tomorrow, that's still not really going to turn the dial on these first three games. And one of the first three games against City, honestly, I just view it as unwinnable. I really do. Um, I, I hate those games against City. I think they're the most tedious games in the world, um, to be you honest. You don't enjoy having City. none of the ball and sitting back and waiting for the inevitable? <laughs> and, and losing 3-1. No, not at all. And I find City really tedious as well. So losing to a boring team um, in a very boring manner, not great. So, like, I, I kind of write the City game off. So, like, I, I don't think... I think we could have bought four players and it wouldn't make any difference for that game, to be honest. Maybe more for the Chelsea game. But I think I made my piece quite a while ago with the idea that whatever we did, even if we got, like, loads of new signings in June, like, the, you know, very rare that they really, really hit the ground running, like, in August. So... um you know, I, I guess I, I was a little bit more relaxed about it and like the transfer window will take its course and I'll reassess it at that point. But yeah, to be honest, I, I, I wasn't I, I feel like I'm on a pretty even keel because nothing has enormously surprised me to this point. Um maybe other than I did think we'd sell Xhaka. Um that's the only thing that's really surprised me. Mm. Final, final, final thought, Clark. <laughs> I think there's a there's there's a reason why we're all a little bit down. We're just sitting here watching Jack Greenish's press conference, hundred million pound, and Lukaku about to do his a hundred million pound medical, and you know they're just backed by the world, aren't they? Those two clubs, and we're just in a different sphere. We've got Liverpool, with a lot of their important players back, and we've got Manchester United, the biggest cash cow in the world. And we got to compete in this league, and we got exactly the same players apart from one, and we got loads of dross to sell, and the road back looks far away. It really does, regardless of what we do and how smart we are. Our competition, particularly those three big clubs with the money they have, is just extremely hard to bring back, and so everything has got a much sharper lens on it. And then there's a much bigger, more adult discussion about what's happening to football, what's happening with wages, what's happening with spend, who's taking advantage of this, investment into clubs. But we expect Arsenal to be a top four, top six team, and everyone is just investing just like we used to. 
you know, and smart like we used to be. And we're smartening up. Our recent moves have been better. But there's a bit of me that's a little bit quite depressed about the near term and what we have to do. And I'm, I'm hoping that changes. I'm holding on to my thoughts until September the 1st. And let's see where Arsenal actually are. But it's a, it's a, it feels a little bit of a, a down of to me what's happening at some of these other clubs. And it's very difficult for us to compete. I, I said it on the Instant Reaction Pod. It's not that we're not up to Liverpool, United, Chelsea, or City yet. I don't regard that as realistic right now. It needs to be realistic in the next three or four seasons, but not right now. But it's that we haven't properly used our resources to distance ourselves from the other clubs, Leicester, Everton, Villa, West Ham, you know, those clubs. And allowing those clubs to stay in our orbit is, is a danger. Because we do have bigger resources, we should be using them efficiently to distance ourselves from them. And then if we're not with Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and United yet, we can build from that platform. But putting ourselves where we're in an absolute dogfight with Villa and Everton and Spurs and West Ham and, and you know, those and Leicester to finish in fifth or sixth, that's what we can't be doing. And yeah. so that the state of the squad combined with two friendlies that admittedly they're just friendlies, but worry me only because I see an attack that still looks like it doesn't have the cutting edge. Yeah, I, I'm a little nervous. But the good news is three games, international break. I think we'll, we'll have a much clearer picture than where we stand. And even if we had the squad in perfect nick going into the season, we probably might have to have expected to lose to Chelsea and City anyway. So I really regard our season in a way as starting after that international break. Yeah. And... And if we can hold fire just a little bit and see what we are coming out of that, that might be the sensible thing. We will not do that, though. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thank you very much. Paul is coming up. We're going to take a break to tell you to straighten your teeth. But let me be the one to tell you. Straighten your teeth. It's cheap. It's easy. You wear a thing in your mouth, your teeth are straight. Imagine if I could do that with the gym. I could just wear a thing, and I'd be fit. Sadly, I can't do that. But you can do it with your teeth. We're going to tell you about it. Take a break. Come back with Paul after this. Stay with us. There's a specialist for just about everything, right? When my car breaks down, I go to a mechanic. When there's a problem with my shower, I call a plumber. When I shower. So when you want to get your uneven, crooked teeth fixed, you see an orthodontist. They're the specialists. And that's what sets Candid, the invisible, comfortable, and removable aligners above the rest. While poorly reviewed or insanely priced clear aligner companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. And with Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish, so you never have to wonder how you're doing. Your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. You can book an appointment at a Candid studio near you or do everything from the comfort and convenience of your own home. The average Candid treatment is just six months. You'll start seeing results way before that, and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. And with your aligner treatment, you'll even get Candid's teeth whitening free. Candid can help you get the straighter, brighter smile you've always wanted. Right now, you can save $75 on your Candid starter kit when you get started from home. Go to CandidCo.com slash vision and use code vision. That's CandidCo.com slash vision, code vision. CandidCo.com slash vision, code vision. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, we're back. And now Paul is here to explore the space. He's going to give us his his thoughts on some things. I think, um, you know, one of the things that, Paul, everybody is really curious to see this season. Well, hang on. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. I'll pause. <laughs> Woohoo! I was so excited to dive into, into what you're thinking that I forgot to actually introduce you. So it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, one of the things that I think everybody is sort of wondering to themselves is we have some talent up front. We don't seem to unlock the potential of it the way we should. Mm-hmm. Arteta has us playing some decent possession football. He certainly tightened up the defense in some ways uh, last season. But now the attack has to start to click. Do you have any particular idea on how that might happen? Because I, I'm not sure I know what's missing, but I think we can all agree mm. something is. Yeah, something's definitely missing, and it's called creativity. So Orbinio on uh, Twitter, uh, who works for Opta Stats and focuses on Arsenal, uh, tweeted out something on chance creation, um, number of minutes per chance, and he went down the Arsenal players and... So this is chance creation. I had to look it up to make sure I understood what it was, was key passes plus assists. Uh, it doesn't quite tally with FB ref, but but the trend does. So um, like our best chance creators are Smith Rowe and Odegaard. So that kind of meets the, in fact, it's very rare you see Smith Rowe uh, fairly and generously treated by the stats. He, he tends to, fit the Arsenal eye better than some of the stats. But anyway, he comes out on top with Odegaard uh, creating a chance every 54 minutes. Now, I could go down the whole list of uh, anybody who ever creates a chance for us, but uh, Elliot, who do you think of anybody who ever creates chances for Arsenal, including fullbacks, midfielders, etc., is our lowest chance creator in the team? Uh, who? It's a shocker. Who? Pepe. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I did actually know that, I think. But yeah, that, it, yeah that is pretty surprising. It's certainly so, not. It shouldn't be like that. I think we can agree. Yeah. Um. So, like, those guys were at 54. Then you got William, sorry. Uh, Danny Martinelli, Tierney. Then you got Lacazaka there, 88 minutes to create a chance. Hector, Aubameyang. Pepe is 202 minutes. And then if you check that against XA... The only person who creates less expected assists, contributions, likely contributions to assist in the outfield, whoever plays for us at any level is Mohamed Elneny. Pepe Mm. is like uh, 0.05 expected assists per game. So when you think about the game we just played, we basically played with three strikers in which the strikeriest of them is now Nicolas Pepe. He takes more shots than Aubameyang. He takes, uh, he 
uh, does fewer key passes, lower exit. So you basically have three strikers up front with Lacazette adding a bit of creativity and you can one can debate um, whether we get enough out of Lacazette's creativity. Um, I kind of I kind of feel he's he's pretty like none of them are at the level we need them to be in terms of contribution overall. And the problem with Pepe is like he scored quite a few goals towards the end of last year, but I don't know still that he does enough that you'd give him. Let's say you have two two attacking striking forwards, one through the middle and one uh, on one side. I don't know yet that that does enough for us in terms of his volume of goals and shots to take one of the starting berths. You can see why Saka would be would have been an asset yesterday. And, you know, my first thought was, well, for Aubameyang. Um, but uh, it, it does explain a few things, why we struggle so much. And basically the whole creative burdens on Smith Rowe at the moment. Yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously another way you can do it is with fullbacks. We have one good one. Yep. Right. Yep. We don't have another good one necessarily. No. Um, I also we did do- create a bit f- with the fullbacks yesterday. I'm not saying this is sustainable and it was enough, but there was a bit of good combination between uh, Smithrow and Pepe and whoever, and they got in a couple of times, didn't come to too much. Um, And what I saw when I went back and looked at the game was, because we kind of say Aubameyang didn't get into the middle and didn't get on the end of anything, but any time we got up the right or the left yesterday, this was just another one of my takes. When you look at the... uh, the screen, there's Aubameyang and Lacazette in the middle waiting for whatever is coming in to come in. And basically neither of them, we didn't get them on the end of either the Tierney stuff or say Bellerin um, or whoever coming up the right-hand side. And like, they're just, the defense is set and waiting for us and Aubameyang and, and Lacazette are not particularly suited to high balls um, or in Aubameyang's case, I don't think he's really good at throwing his weight around the box to to find that little space to get onto something. We need a bit more broken play, a bit more dynamism, a bit more movement than just coming up the wings. I think we know what we'll get if we come up the wings, and so does our our opponent. I, I think that's partly a Shaka problem. I, I think you have a player who plays 80 passes a game who really ah. prefers to play it up the wing. But Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just say one thing about Pepe, though, real quick. The thing that's weird is he was at .05 expected assists last season, yes. What's bizarre is the season before .2 mm-hmm. and at Leo .22, those numbers put him closer to like James Madison, Mason Mount, Harry Kane sure. in terms of creativity. So he's a player who, who, in his DNA, has some chance creation. I mean, he had 11 assists for Leo the season before he got to Arsenal, and his expected goals per nine, expected assists per ninety prior to last season were consistent with some of the more creative players in the league. So I just, yeah, you know, I, I think at some points when you see that kind of drop off from a player, you have to say that that strikes me as an attack that isn't that isn't putting players in a position to thrive. Yeah, I don't have an answer for what the issue is because, like, we all know he can curl in a, a brilliant cross. Uh, we all know he can dribble, get into the box, uh, do a cutback. Um, I think maybe one of the reasons I kind of like him from the left is it tends to force him to the byline and put in crosses on his left, uh, basically out swingers or uh, cutbacks. And 
you know, we need more people to get in behind. That's where you, if they're going to have a bit of a set defense, you need more people to get you in behind. And I think that's why I like Saka on the right and Pepe on the left. Um, not that I only like Pepe on the left, but I don't dislike Pepe on the left. He does something different there and he can cut in field from time to time, but it tends to encourage him to go a little wider. Um, of course, that's a function of how he works with Tierney, but I'm sure they can work that out between the two of them because uh, we've, we've seen Pepe come in field from the left too. Um, but yeah, it's just a weird oddity. And when we're looking for more creativity, we don't need three strikers waiting waiting to take shots or two and a half with Laka dropping out to to connect. But we saw the best of Laka when we had Smith Rowe and say Saka also combining with him. But then you need to give up one of those slots. Obamiang and, and Pepe, one of them needs to go to to get that mix in the mix. So yeah. I, mm-hmm. I yeah. did want to touch on the Chaka thing. So we had a conversation yesterday in the instant reaction pod. And uh, part of it was the around Chaka and the way he likes to pass. Um, but I think it, now this may have been just this game. But when I had a good look at what Chaka did, I actually think he zipped it up the middle and across a little bit. And I think Samba, Sambi was really good for him in this particular game. In a way, party can and is and i notice i guess there's two interesting factors um i obviously they both buy him time sambi and party and sambi looks like he might be kind of ready now maybe he can't play a full season or half a season or whatever but maybe he can very capably step in and do the party role which allows the better chaka the good chaka who mixes up his game more because he has more time in his hands. And I think I saw actually a reasonable range of passing in this game uh, to, to different targets than we might normally expect when the, the midfield and the defense is more set. Now, maybe that's part of a more open preseason game. But I thought that was quite encouraging because we, we think his passing can be quite two-dimensional. And I actually think he opened it up a little bit in this one if one looks at it with fresh eyes. Um, Now, there's one other interesting statistical quirk. I was talking to Scott Willis, who does, who's at crab underscore. No, oh, that, oh, underscore that underscore crab, yeah. There you go. Um, And helps us out a lot with stats. But one of the things is that Chak has kind of been pushed to one side of the midfield to give him a little space to make those passes, right? And Party and uh, and Sambi, in this particular case, do more of the midfield screening, etc. So when you look at Chaka's radar this day, these days, which shows you defending, passing, and attacking, his defending numbers are really low. Like basically, they we don't use them for defending. Uh, we defend with our shape, um, and Chaka isn't in those midfield battles, tackling. Uh, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But there's one stat where he's actually really high for a midfielder, and that's ball recoveries. And you say to yourself, "Well, how's he doing that? If he's not intercepting and he's not tackling, how's he getting ball recoveries?" So uh, Scott and I had a look at it, and then we I went and looked at a little tape. And basically, what Chaka does is, Sambi or Party makes the tackles, the ball pops loose. And Chaka's the second wave, and that's why he's getting all these ball recoveries. They've kind of uh, d- 
delineated into a first wave and second wave where Chaka, Chaka dr- arrives late because he would. Uh, he's got further to come from and he's got those big heavy boots on. And mm. he comes storming in and does the ball recoveries and that's his contribution in midfield, which means he's in a little space, which means he can open up for those um, <clears throat> a bigger range of passes because it's a little bit more in broken play. And in this big particular game, I think he pushed up quite a bit where Sambi stayed back, took responsibility and, and provided the screen. So hadn't really spotted that dynamic before I thought about it. Anyway. Yeah, no, I, I mean, all very interesting. Let me just ask you point blank, Paul. I Because I, I talked to the guys about this before. I do, I know I know. I get made fun of for being negative or this, that. And the, the funny thing is I'm actually weirdly optimistic. And you and I have joked about this. I get too optimistic about how things are going to go ahead of time and then my my reactions are often based on the fact that i i had expectations that were too high well you'll be happy to know my expectations have actually been lowered okay these last couple of games combined with the business we've done or not done like i'm i find myself really struggling to have the kind of enthusiasm optimism for this season that Mm -hmm. i that i normally have going into it i think it is the combination of not seeing any meaningful avenues to improving the attack combined with a squad that looks roughly similar, if not slightly weaker. And it's it's leading me to feel really just mm. a, a little bit disappointed because you want to go into that season with that optimism. I'll still try to ramp myself up for it, but you've given me all the, you know, all the thoughts on how we do this or what can do that. But like at the end of the day, do you look at a team and a system and an approach based on preseason where you say, I think we've got it figured out. I mean, do you, do you feel that there is, there is scope for significant improvement right from the start. Uh, a bit. Um, like we lost Tierney uh, last season and it really hurt us. So it'll be interesting to see what we do with Nuno Tavares. Um, but the only thing on that is he seems very raw to me. Um, like very, very raw. Like he might be a season, might be a season too early for him. In midfield, I think if Sambi pans out the way preseason looks, I think that's huge because we only basically had about a half a season of good party last year. And party and Chaka were uh, a very, once they found their balance and once we found how to use them, I thought they were very, very effective. And Chaka went from being a player, like we've decided we know what, ceiling Chaka puts on us but that might be the case I'm not entirely convinced that's true till we give Party and Chaka more time together and for the team to evolve a little bit around that and plus you know we've we're, we're apparently going to sign Jack up for a couple more years sorry to bring that up um, and you want to find reasons to not think that locks you into the past uh, or the ceiling of the past so I guess I'm just keeping an open mind on it that that could be somewhere where I have my biggest concerns is the front four. We need at least one, possibly two options in there. Like you're, I'm not saying these players, but just to blurt stuff out, uh, you know, uh, a James Madison type or Martin Odegaard coming back would be lovely. Um, Cause then you can use Smith Rowe in interesting ways on the left um or as a number eight an attacking eight um so i think that's all good and gives us lots of options um and somebody like a tammy abraham if we can get and like what i'm hoping for like i'm with you if 
if the window closed now and if this was our season going forward, I think we're in deep doo-doo up front. Um, and not because we don't have some good players, it's just the balance is all wrong and we've spent our dollars in the backfield on Ben White and uh, a little bit on Sambi, I guess you could say. And the Sambi money looks really well spent at the moment, though it's only preseason. Um, so we definitely need something or I think we're in we're in trouble. Yeah, I, um, the funny thing is, this is where I wind up, like my, my, my Arteta skepticism kicks in. I mm. totally agree with what you've said, but then I find myself saying, individually, I rate a lot of the attacking players we have and yet I yep. don't have a confidence in us building a coherent attack. And some of that may be just the pieces don't fit together right or we're still missing something. I think some of it is a reflection of my lingering Arteta skepticism about him unlocking the potential of those players. I think I have an even bigger concern, more that he and Edu slid us into a situation where these are attacking options. Again, back to the point of it's not that any of them are bad players, but you don't need a Lacazette and Aubameyang and this version of Pepe, three basically strikers, uh, and do any of them actually fit our style and how we play? So we've just kind of, you know, we did, we kept Lacazette or couldn't move him on when we had a chance to. Uh, we signed up Aubameyang and, you know, they inherited Pepe and we're still trying to work out how to use him, but have we developed him in the right way? And I just don't feel uh, that's the one area of the pitch, obviously, that we've yet to fix, get to. And like, is that because Arteta can't coach attack yet? Or is that because they made a series of decisions that were maybe made some kind of sense in isolation, but they're, they were tactical, not strategic. They were, you know, addressing the issue that Aubameyang was all our goals that summer, had scored them all the previous season, and we had to sign him up um, because they didn't want to go into the future without him locked down, engaged, fully on board. And they made two or three different, you know, didn't sell Lacazette because, I don't know, the money wasn't enough. Um, and then that pays a whole bigger conversation. And mm. so... I think they've just kind of tin ended as a wedge or salami salami sliced themselves into a situation where you've got two, three players that are not easily shifted. But if they don't throw some money at it in some form or other, you know, James Madison could, a, a James Madison type could add a lot in terms of dynamic running, uh, chance creation, um, mm. sharing the burden with Smith Rowe that could bring to life um you know, Lacazette and Aubameyang, and depending on how we're lining up for more broken play, use Aubameyang for situations where we need to break down a block, use Lacazette with our number 10 and Smith Rowe and Saka and just kind of get some buzzing, whirling dervishes to break them down because otherwise we're too static. But yeah, I, I do sure you're like right now, I think we're in trouble. So money has to be spent and hopefully what they're hoping for is by keeping some dollars they're about to get into the opportunistic time of the window to get somebody like like if bernardo silva pops loose at a reasonable price i think uh, arteta knows the phone numbers over there now i know he wants to go back to spain or blah 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 but 
he might not be going back to Spain because they might not have the money. So who knows what what opportunities may break loose. I do think the Edu pictures mm. are kind of a cry for help. Right? Well, I think he's either trying to tell us no. that it's going to be a clusterfuck. No, no, hang on. I've, this is good stuff. This is good quality here, Elliot. It's a cluster. It's a clusterfuck. And he has nothing to do with it. He was on vacation. It wasn't his fault at all. It's got screwed his out-of-office reply was on. It's not his fault. <laughs> yeah. Or alternatively, he got all sorted. Madison, Tammy Abrahams are, in fact, done. He's left it to his paperwork guys, and it's all sorted. No messy, though. So, you know, look, yeah. here's how I know Arteta's not coaching the attack well enough. I'm able to score plenty of goals on FIFA with these guys. So... That, that, if that isn't how you settle the argument, I don't know what is. Pause on Twitter. Pause on my fans. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Full week of content. Lots of stuff coming. Plus the actual preseason predictions pod on Thursday, which I'm really looking forward to. We always post those then up on the website so you can track how bad they were last season. Um, you can go look at last seasons while they're still up right now. They will come down when that comes down. But you should go look to have a really good laugh. We got some things sort of right. Boy, did we get some things sort of wrong. But you know what? We will endeavor to do the exact same thing again. Uh, until then, stick around with us, everybody. It's going to be a fun season of laughing together, crying together, or somewhere in between. And we love you. Here it comes. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Brentford nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.